Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In this episode, we'll look at chapters 10 through 10 through 12 of, of Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly was published in, in 1977. It uh, was the last novel Dick published in the 1970s. It's really his classic anti-drug novel. It, it encapsulates a lot of what he has to say about um, about drug use, uh, something he, if he didn't advocate, he was interested in and curious in, as we see in many of the novels from the 1960s. But clearly, from this novel, we know he had soured on on the drug culture, um, and that's largely what this book is about. So it's really a bleak look at the life of drug addicts and drug dealers. Um, but it also has a lot of interesting things to say about the inbred relationship between drug dealing and and the state uh, and and the police and how they really rely on each other and those things become clear and clear as we get to the the climax uh, of the novel how they're really reliant on each other and how there's kind of a cyclical relationship in this kind of endless back and forth between the drug dealers and the police and th- that's why i mentioned in previous episodes on this series on this book how much this novel reminds me of of the themes and the ideas expressed in in the wire uh, course developed by david simon one of the best if not the best tv show uh, about america to to ever be produced so in the previous episodes we saw how bob arctor you know has this job of investigating this community of drug users he's infiltrated them become their friend uh, become a dealer trying to basically buy his way into higher and higher um Circles. Eventually, he's told he's going to have to install surveillance uh, surveillance equipment into the house. He does that, and then he spends much of the middle part of the novel watching himself and watching his friends engage in their bizarre lifestyle and, and their their conversations. Um, it's about at the midpoint of this novel, though, that Bob Arctor begins to lose his consciousness about who he is, and the way this manifests is partially through the fact that he wears a scramble suit when he's at work. So he's when he's a cop. When he's talking to cops, when he's in the police station, when he's even looking at the tapes, looking at the surveillance scanners, he is Fred, the policeman. When he's with his friends, he's Bob Arctor. Right now, this is just a division of a necessary division of of kind of identities for his work. But by the middle point of the novel, and particularly by the chapters we're going to look at in this episode it really becomes a divided identity where he's watching himself on these scanners and he doesn't even see he's watching himself, right? This is a consequence of the drug use and it's something he was warned about. Of course, he has to use drugs as an undercover police officer in these communities. He can't, you know, he has to be part of these, this culture, but he uses so much he gets increasingly addicted and increasingly um, affected by that. And one consequence of this is the splitting of the two hemispheres of, of the brain. So you really almost have two simultaneous identities. This has happened to him by this point in the novel. What, where it really comes clear is when, after sleeping with a, a, a essentially a, a, well, trading sex for, for drugs, he has sex with a, with a, a woman, a drug addict, and 
watching her on the bed, he sees her shifting into the woman he actually wants, who is Donna Hawthorne, another uh, drug dealer. But he starts, he can't even, he's not even sure who he's in bed with. And that's really when we start to see his, his identity breaking out. Although there are many clues that he's losing touch with reality earlier in the novel, but that's the moment where he really gets, you know, becomes disconnected. And starting with chapter 10, Bob Arctor and Fred are essentially separate characters. And we're really in Fred's mind watching himself, watching Bob Arctor do these things, not knowing that it's, that it's him, himself. So chapter 10 opens, uh, making this clear. Um, Dick writes, in his scramble suit, Fred saw before a battery of whirling hollow playbacks, watching Jim Barris in Bob Arctor's living room reading a book on mushrooms. Why mushrooms? Fred wondered and sped the tapes at high speed forward to see an hour later. There Barris sat, reading with great concentration and making notes. So right here we see Fred watching Bob Arctor's living room. It's not watching his living room or watching himself, which he was aware of in earlier chapters. Now he's just watching Bob Arctor. And not only does he not really recognize himself there, he doesn't understand why these people are doing things and their motivations become increasingly strange to him. So even from the reader's point of view, it gets a little bit more surreal what's going on because we're seeing it through Fred's eyes and we're seeing him observing the house instead of being in the house with these characters. And, you know, really strange things happen. Um, For instance, there's this whole thing about mushrooms, the thing that Barris is studying. Well, essentially, Barris is selling mushrooms that apparently are better than mescaline or something, or at least he's saying it's better than mescaline. And the, the guys in the scramble suits, the police officers who are watching this, actually figure that they can maybe charge Barris with like false advertising or something on this. So they kind of are having a jokey conversation about what, what Fred here is observing. But... Um, well, another thing we learn by watching these tapes with, with Fred is that Barris has you know made a second key for the house posing as Arctor so he went to the locksmith posing as Bob Arctor and and basically paid for this paid for a you know duplicate key with a bad check um quote theory Barris that poses Arctor phoning Engelson locksmith to have a duplicate key made illicitly for either the house or the car even both telling Engelson he's lost his whole key ring but then the locksmith doing a security check had sprung on Barris a request for a check as ID. Barris had gone back to the house and ripped off an unfilled out checkbook of Arctor and written a check out on it to the locksmith. The check hadn't cleared, but why not? Arctor had kept a high balance on his account, a check that small would clear. But if it cleared, Arctor would come across it in his statement and recognize it not as his, as Jim Barris's. So Barris has rooted around in Arctor's closets and located, probably at some previous time, an old checkbook from a now abandoned account and used that. The account being closed, the check hadn't cleared. Now Barris was in hot water. So this is Barris's current dilemma is uh, the problem he's had with the bad check. And he's getting calls from the locksmith, essentially demanding demanding the money. So he's sitting there trying to think how he can use this and and, and help Arctor. He seems to have some kind of sympathy for Arctor and he's a bit he's coming to the conclusion that Barris is really the bad guy here and Maybe Arctor's not that bad. But here's what Fred thinks. Oh, god damn, he thought. That day, Bears gave us the tabs at the roadside. His mind went into spins and double trips and then split in half directly down the middle. The next thing he knew, he was in the safe apartment bathroom with a, with a Dixie cup of water rinsing on his mouth by himself, where he could think. When you get down to it, I'm Arctor, he thought. I'm the man on the scanners. The suspect Barris was fucking over with his weird phone call with the locksmith. And I was asking, what's Arctor been up to to get 
embarrassed on him like that. I'm slushed. My brain's slushed. This is not real. I'm not believing this. Watching what is me is Fred. That was Fred down there without the scramble scoop. That's how Fred appears without his suit. The Fre And Fred the other day possibly got it with the toxic mushroom fragments, he realized. He almost didn't make it back here to a safe apartment to get these hollows going. But now he has, end quote. So he's there's glimpses here where he kind of sees himself as Bob Arctor, but it's really confused and muddled, and his identity is really f fading away. At, really, he's, he sees himself more as Fred than Bob Arctor, which is how the novel begins. He's Bob Arctor, who wears the Fred suit when he's at work. Now it's Fred who takes off his suit and becomes Bob Arctor occasionally, but he's still seen Bob Arctor often as another person. Um who's now paranoid about toxic mushroom fragments from the bad mushrooms that Barris is, is selling. Now here's where it gets weird. He fast forwarded to the to this to the the moment where Bob Arctor sleeps with that girl Connie, right? The the one he he paid for the sex with with some drugs. And Fred's watching this and he's seeing the same thing that Bob Arctor experiences, which is uh, the changing of the face, right? The changes between Connie and and Don, Donna Hawthorne. It, when it happened to Bob Arctor, we assume it's just him kind of losing control of, of reality, or reality, reality slipping under his feet because of his drug use. But now we have an objective scanner report that shows the same thing. Quote, again, he ran the tape back, then forward. When he first came to the alteration in Connie's features, he then stopped the transport, leaving the hologram filled with one freeze frame. He rotated the enlarger. All the other cubes cut out. One huge cube formed from the previous eight a single nocturnal scene bob arctor unmoving in his bed the girl unmoving beside him standing fred walked to the hollow cube into the three-dimensional projection and stood close to the bed to scrutinize the girl's face halfway between he decided still half connie already half donna i better run this over to the lab he thought it's been tampered with by an expert i i've been f fed fake taped by who he wondered end quote so now fred has this extra paranoia about who changed the tape to have this uh you know this girl's face changed literally on the on the tape so that's chapter 10 um really a, a, a chapter showing uh fred fred's identity really overtaking that of bob arctor and 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 this character kind of losing identity of who he is chapter 11 uh we begin with bob arctor as bob arctor not as fred or anything going to clean up this mess with uh locksmith the the with the bad check the the problem that barris got into and he he basically pays off the the bill for for the unpaid or the the, the check that didn't clear he realizes though when he gets the copy of the bad check he realizes that barris had perfectly copied his his handwriting which leads Bob Arctor to think that Barris is some kind of genius. Quote, on the other hand, it's poss possibly a tracing reproduction or anything mechanically done, but I've never made a check out to Engelson Locksmith, so how could he tr be a transfer forgery? This is a unique check. I'll turn it over to the department graphologist. He decided let them figure out how it was done. Maybe just practice, practice, pra practice. End quote. So there's, there's more th idea here that Barris is into stuff that's beyond what most people think and it has something to do with his his own bears his own paranoia about about bob arctor about about the house about you know all the weird behavior that he's engaged in seems to be connected to something else that's going on some other motive he has well some other agenda 
Now, another explanation is given in this stream of consciousness we get from Bob Arctor is which who, who kind of shifts into Fred as the investigator, the objective investigator. And this this happens uh, quite a lot in this chapter where the the point of view seems to shift between Fred and Bob Arctor pretty much at, at will. But whenever we're kind of hearing from Fred, Bob Arctor is always this third person other. That's how you can identify those those passages. But another theory is that just as Bob Arctor was losing his his mind, Barris's strange behavior is just a reflection of him trying to cover up for Bob Arctor, fill in, you know, fix, you know, whatever messes he made. But he ultimately comes to the conclusion that the police are really on to something with this house and this investigation. There's something deeper. There's a deeper conspiracy behind all of it. Quote, I wonder what Barris knows that we don't know, he wondered. Maybe we have to haul him in and ask him, but better to obtain material developed independently from Barris. Otherwise, it would be a duplication of what Barris, whoever he was a representative, had. And then he thought, what the hell am I talking about? I must be nuts. I know Bob Arctor. He's a good person. He's up to nothing, at least nothing unsavory. In fact, he thought he works for the Orange County Sheriff's Office covertly, which is probably why Barris is after him. Right. So even in this passage, it's, it's it works on so many weird levels is because we think we're from Bob Arctor's point of view, but then he's talking about Bob Arctor. So it's, we think it's like Fred now thinking about Bob Arctor as a third person. But then he knows that Bob Arctor is a undercover police man, but doesn't know it's him. Right. He doesn't connect it to him. It's it's really wonderfully done and it, it's a bit confusing and and awkward, but. I really love it. I think it's, it's it's really well constructed in this chapter, and and Dick has a lot of fun with this kind of this uh, cross chatter of these these two halves of of Arctur's brain. Now we get this really wonderful passage in this chapter as well, um, which they, they they kind of emphasize in the movie too for for good reasons, um, where he starts to think about the scanners again and this relationship between what's being scanned and, and the observer of the scanner and. You know, you used to have this feeling all the time when you live in a place like China and you see all these cameras everywhere, right? It's like, you know, are there enough people, even in a country as populated as China, are there enough people just to put behind these cameras to watch all this stuff? Or is it just a, almost like a machine just collecting this data in mass? Um, but Arctor Fred, whoever he is, thinks, whatever it is that's watching is not human, not by my standards anyways, not what I'd recognize. As silly as this is, he thought, it's frightening. Something is being done to me by... A mere thing here in my own house before my very eyes within something's very eyes within the sight of something which unlike little dark eyed don it doesn't even blink what does a scanner see he asks himself i mean really see into the head down into the heart does a positive infrared scanner like they they used to use or the cube type hollow scanner like they use these days the latest thing see into me into us clearly or darkly i hope it does he thought see clearly because I can't any longer in these days see into myself. I can only I see only murk, murk outside, murk inside. I hope for everyone's sake the scanners do better because he thought if the scanner sees only darkly the way I myself do, then we are cursed, cursed again. And like we've been continually, end quote. I mean, it's really, really rich here. I mean, the, the point being, if if we're losing control of our identity and who we are, if we're if we're plagued by the three stigmata, Palmer Eldridge, right, blurred realities alienation and despair those are the three stigmata right then that's the kind of challenges that most of philip dick's characters are facing at some point right and certainly bob arctor fred are facing all of these alienation with who he is you know blurred reality and 
and and the despair just runs throughout the whole novel. It's the whole culture. You have Donna not wanting to live anymore, really, saying she doesn't plan to live very long. You have Ferris making a similar comment that the world's getting worse. You have a character, Charles Freck, who tries to kill himself. Many, many characters just don't just have are overrun with despair. But to find then hope only in the clear objective reality of the machine is is pretty horrifying to me and it's 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 rather sad and it it's pretty bleak view of of the human can you know the human humanity's future with machine that if our if we're becoming increasingly kippleized like a lot of these characters sort of are kipple kip you know if if only then the like the the clarity of the machine <laughs> you know is all we have to rely on right the it's yeah, it's just pretty dark stuff here. So anyways, the, the rest of chapter 11 is uh, Charles Freck's suicide attempt. Um, basically what happens here is Charles Freck, um, just becoming progressively more and more depressed, uh, decides he's going to off himself. That's the way Dick writes it, off himself. And the way he does it is he's going to take a bunch of drugs with, with some wine and and... and 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 die uh the f- two funny things happen here one is before he dies he prepares his artifacts so he he, he wants to be remembered in a certain way so he prepares his house and you know he wants to, he's he wants to be die with copy of the fountainhead by Anne Rand to prove to quote to prove he had been a misunderstand superman rejected by the masses and so in a sense murdered by their scorn an unfinished letter to exxon protesting the cancellation of a gas credit card and all this kind of stuff you know, all his grievances. It's almost like a, a visual suicide letter. The other thing that happens, of course, is the the drugs aren't real drugs. They're not barbitual. They're hallucinogenic. So he just took a huge, massive dose of hallucinations. And then he proceeds to have a essentially an infinite hallucination in which a demon, a creature, reads him his sins for, for hundreds, thousands of years. Um, and that's the kind of the last we see of Charles Freck. Um, I guess he lives because, but the hallucination also seems to go on forever. So, um, I don't know. He's going to wake up after an infinity, uh, having his sins read to him by a monster, but you know, that's hallucinogens for you. Uh, but that's the last we see of, of that particular character. It's sad. He wants to kill himself, but it's, it's, it's presented in a really funny way. And it's, it's actually some cleverly constructed, it's just cleverly constructed scene uh, with a lot of humor in it. So in chapter 12, we get more of Fred watching uh, these scenes from the hollow scanners in his, in his, in this room and, you know, watching Bob Arctor and Luckman and the others, you know, have their little conversations and he gets a call at some point, Fred gets a call from one of the higher ups saying, you know, remember those tests we did before where, you know, we gave you some basic, uh, what were they, neural aphasia tests. You know, and you were supposed to come back, but you didn't. And they processed some more material on him. And, you know, they basically need him to come down for some other testing because he's gotten worse. And he doesn't even remember the room where this testing takes place. Um, and the supervisor asked, you know, if he's having any other troubles, you know, that might explain his his some of the recent behavior they've observed. Now, a lot of the conversations that Fred watches in this chapter but and mostly they're between Luckman and Bob Arctor. I think relations with Barris are so bad he's he's kind of not really hanging around the house too much. But they're about false realities and lies and people posing as things. They're all hinting at who's the undercover cop kind of thing. Like the, like if you wanted to have a conversation about 
who's the undercover cop? You might kind of go at it this way or something. The first is about a, a parent taking a child to see a psychiatrist because he's having like night tears and, and tantrums and hysteria. But the kid lies. Quote, the, the kid lies. He makes up exaggerated stories. And the psychologist examines the kid and his diagnosis is, Madame, you have your child hysterical. You have a hysterical child, but you don't know why. Right. So that's a kind of an interesting uh, conversation they have. And then he's fast forwards to a conversation Luckman's having like an hour later, like they've been talking about false fronts and people posing, at, you know, wearing different identities for a whole hour because Luckman's still talking about this. And he says, this guy appeared on the TV claiming to be a world-famous imposter. He had posed at one time or another, he told the interviewer, as a great surgeon at Johns Hopkins Medical College, a theoretical submolecular high-velocity particle researcher physicist, physicist on a federal grant at Harvard, as a finished novelist who won the Nobel Prize. The guy never posed as any of those. He never posed as anything but a world-famous imposter. That came out later in the LA Times. They checked up. The guy pushed a broom at Disneyland. End quote. So, the f it's you, so we have, again, we have a guy who claims to be the some great famous imposter who's impo been imposed like been an imposter for so many different uh, famous roles and done it successfully but in fact he's just a guy saying he did those things to to try to get famous right and then from there they guys start to talk about people posing like as as a narc well of course narcs pose as friends right that's the initial story um, that Luckman know that Arctur's telling here is that someone you know gets busted with with marijuana you know gets busted by the friend who's really a police officer and he you know he posts as a friend just looking like everyone else and then they say well actually they look more like the exaggerated I guess normal like drug user or drug dealer than a real one would look like that's how you can identify a narc right and the question is like then could someone pose as a narc not really being an arc and it's kind of a fascinating conversation but the core here is just Arctur kind of losing his train of thought and losing control of of these conversations and they get so convoluted and you know it's all part of his loss of, of overall identity and as Fred's watching this kind of confused one of the other people in the scramble suit actually says you know it, it's not so bad when you're there it's because you're kind of seeing it through the scanner that it, it comes off as odder than it really is right there's a there's a I guess that might be true. There's a way that conversations sort of unfold between two people, and there's a way we perceive it as someone who's participating in that. And then when you observe it from the outside, it's it's odd, right? Maybe when you eavesdrop and misunderstand something, or worse, when we see it like from a screen, we're missing maybe a lot, right? And I sense that goes back to the theme that the scanner really can't see things objectively and true because. It's maybe seen it from a certain point of view, or it's a little fuzzy, or the sound's a little bit off, or there's just this kind of lost in translation matter. The same way when we hear our voice after recording, it doesn't sound like how we imagine we sound. Now he thinks that something that Arctor said in that conversation about posing as an arc is like proof that Arctor is is this bad guy that they're trying to catch and, and he's going to make a report on it. It's not clear what exactly the evidence is. It's just something's clicked in his messed up, swished up brain that, that he's ready to make a move against, against Arctur, who's actually him, of course. At least half of his brain at this point. Um, so after this scene, he goes back to this room for the psych test, the psych test he took before, but... Um, you know, now he's, he's not going to do nearly as well with them. 
Like even little things like like putting his hands in a dark box and having the two hands touch each other. He troubles with that. He has trouble fitting blocks into. He calls them complicated blocks into complicated holes, but I'm not sure how complicated they are because it says he felt like he was doing this in first grade, and of course in first grade it's not complicated blocks and complicated holes. So then they go, they do like a blood test, and they say, we'll get back to you with the results, right? So Fred goes back up to Hank's office. Of course, they're all wearing scramble suits. And Jim Barris comes in to inform on, on Bob Arctor now. He claims to have all this evidence collected of a, of a vast conspiracy. He says, I have evidence that Mr. Arctor is part of a large secret covert organization, well-funded with arsenals of weapons at their disposal, using code words probably dedicated to the overthrow of and then it's cut off but you know overthrow the government i guess and they basically tell uh barris that okay you'll you bring this evidence to us and you know because he didn't bring it with him but you'll bring it back and he signs signs some forms or whatever now barris makes another couple more suggestions during this preliminary interview before he's not really fully narking yet that'll come later and we'll look at that in the next episode but he makes two other claims. One is that Donna Hawthorne is somehow a, a co-conspirator or colluding with Bob Arctor. And finally, that Bob Arctor is losing his mind because of addiction to, to substance D and is taking a vast quantities of, of substance D. Um, and that's chapter 12. So these, ten, these three chapters, chapters 10 through 12, um, they're probably the most challenging I think to the re- to read and they're hardest to kind of be clear of what's actually going on um, because this is all on purpose though Dick is is really tr- trying to demonstrate this breakdown of, of, of Fred and Bob Arctor's sense of, of reality of knowing where they are and it's all very weirdly presented because most of the scenes are Bob or Fred sorry Fred watching the scanner and not really understanding fully what he's seen and observing it and always fast forwarding to different scenes so there's a lot of cutting uh, and breaking up of, of what's going on. Um, but anyways, good stuff. Good Philip Dick, Dick stuff. This is the the stuff he's known for, right? The shifting realities and kind of the bleak bleakness of it all. Um, so what's going to happen next is I, I'm going to finish up the novel in the next episode. Uh, looking at chapters, it'll be 13 through 17. Uh, but some of them are quite short. It, um, and we'll finish up the novel. Uh, we're not going to. It's 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 going to kind of take a different direction in the next episode as this novel moves towards its its climax. Uh, there's other kind of realities to be revealed here, but it's all it's all told in a much more straightforward way. Uh, even though we kind of get a new identity for our our hero in in the, at the end, but again, it's 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 pretty more linear and straightforward from from here on out. Um, so we'll look at the final chapters of the novel, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about my overall feelings of the book and give you kind of some of my thematic summaries, as I usually do at the end of these these novels. So I don't know. I found these rereading these sections a bit a bit challenging and hard to talk about, as, as you can tell. But if you have uh, ways to kind of clarify things, and I don't know if that's the best thing. I don't think Dick wants these sections to be very clear. I think he, he wants it to be muddled. He wants you to feel that disorder and that anguish that that fred is feeling but if you have any clarity can you can you can you look at this uh, can you see through this clearly um if you can let me know and and send me an email at 100 pagescast at gmail.com or or just leave a comment below giving me what you thought so i look forward to finishing up uh, my thoughts about a scanner darkman in the next episode and i'll see you then 
feel these changes happening in me.